unless you tell us otherwise, we're increasing the rent on this unit on, you know, in 75 days to this amount, we don't hear anything back in a week, then we send that out to the tenant and that's it. And then we put it in our system and we move on. So um, that's a place where we just, we, we just kind of blew up the process and said, why are we killing ourselves to sign new leases when that's not really the goal? The goal is really to get the rent increased. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the Apartment Owner's Guide to Operating Rental Properties as a Successful Business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. I'm your host, John Stiles, and I'm excited that you have joined us today. I'm also excited for the pleasure to introduce our guest today, who is Scott Bitzik. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. So a little bit about Scott before we get into things here. Scott is a broker at the Rental Management Guys. He has been buying and managing investment properties since 2001. He invests in duplexes, fourplexes, townhouses, single family houses, and even commercial properties throughout Minneapolis and surrounding Minnesota communities. As a result of managing all these rental properties himself, he is an invaluable resource for his investor clients. Prior to real estate, Scott was the director of information technology for Caribou Coffee and Masaba Airlines in the Twin Cities. He graduated with a finance degree from the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire and lives in Independence, Minnesota with his wife, Amanda, and their three kids. So, Scott, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself a little bit more, fill in the audience about your background and how you got into real estate. Sure. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a family where my father was uh, self-employed, had been in a general contract for decades. And so I always had that uh, construction and, uh, and, and building in my blood. You know, I, I remember as a young kid helping him, uh, you know, clean up construction sites and things like that when he was building houses. And so uh, after college, got interested in buying rental properties. And, and as I, uh, right after, you know, I had kind of had a stable job and, and had, a, had income, <laughs> Uh, started buying up some rental properties and, uh, you know, acquired a fairly good size uh, portfolio and, and have continued to do that and flip houses and buy and sell real estate over the years. Uh, in about in 2004, 2004, six years ago, uh, my uh, number of uh, clients of mine uh, that I have done a lot of business with over the la last uh, 10 or 15 years, uh, we got together and decided that we, to start a property management company, uh, which we call Rental Management Guys, we decided there was a niche in the market for uh, property management companies that were focused on investors. Um, and, and we were really the, the audience because we had used uh, property management companies ourselves and were you know, love some things about them, frustrated about other parts of it. And so we just thought, you know, there's a good opportunity. Plus, with just frankly, the number of units that we have under management of our own, um, it just made sense that we bring all that in-house. So that's what we've been doing um, ever since. I still um, additionally uh, buy and sell, you know, properties for, um, you know, for clients. So I still do a number of transactions per year, mostly on the investment side. Okay. Yeah, that's great to understand where you're coming from in all of this. And so the company that you have established in 2004, you said, um, how, what were those things that kind of created the company? And, you know, what were the good things that you pulled from some others that you've had experience with? And what were the things that you tried to differentiate um, that you were frustrations with other companies? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, I know that the term is cliche, but um, we, 
we really were frustrated by a lot of the lack of transparency of how things were getting done, especially on the financing side. Um, we were con consistently frustrated that we'd get our you know monthly check from property management company and wouldn't know, you know, wouldn't understand why, why is this $400 short? Why is it $800 short? Had no visibility into really what was going on or why money was being spent. So uh, we have changed that. So we, you know, all of our owners get notifications whenever there's maintenance items, we have a cap on spending um, $250 with, um, you know, without getting their approval. Um, you know, we've got, we've got all of the invoices down to, you know, the, the $5, uh, Home Depot receipt are online for the owners to review and look at and, you know, and they can keep a pulse of, you know, financially what's going on on a, on a uh, minute by minute basis. So there was that piece. Um, the second piece was also just, um, you know, trying to provide um, more more guidance for some of our less experienced uh, customers, ones that were just getting started in the market uh, as investors. So that was another big piece of it. And um, you know, and then just trying to do the right thing, trying to treat the properties like they were our own and, um, you know, do the things that were that that we would want done for the properties. And then also just a lot of consistency and process that we didn't see. We saw a lot of our competitors uh, don't have a lot of systems in place. They don't have a lot of processes or a lot of consistency. So we try to make things uh, as cookie cutter as possible because then it's predictable both internally as well as externally. So, okay. Well, uh, that sounds good. And I appreciate the terminology you've used there as far as systems and processes, because it, it's my goal that these interviews and this show will kind of dig into those processes mm -hmm. and systems so that we can all learn and improve together. So one other question about your company, who would you say is your ideal clientele, like in terms of geographical location, in terms of property type, and then also maybe portfolio size? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we do business all across the Twin Cities. Um, so I would say in the seven uh, county metro area is, uh, you know, we're, we're open to that. Um, we have a heavy concentration in Minneapolis and St. Paul, obviously, because that's where most of the rentals are. But we do have things that we do have properties that stretch all the way to Cottage Grove and, and, and up towards um, Fridley in, in that area. Uh, secondly, we like working with investors, guys that are guys and gals that are out there to, uh, you know, they bought a property for the specific purpose of capital, you know, of, of growing wealth or, you know, income, um, you know, and that's that those are the because generally speaking, those investors, those people understand the process, they understand the, you know, what it takes to be an investor to own an investment property, you know, maintenance and repairs and tenants and things like that. Um, they don't necessarily have an emotional attachment to the property. Um, so that's, you know, that's the group that we work with. Now, obviously, we work with lots of, um, I would call them accidental landlords. That's not uncommon for us. We have lots of those type of uh, owners also. And then the second one is, you know, our preferences is people that have multiple, um, multiple properties. So anywhere from um, four to 20 units. Um, again, that's very much uh, how we're geared. It's, you know, we understand that those people generally are more sophisticated. They understand the process. Um, it's, it's, more straightforward. And it's frankly how we do business. You know, we own um, between our, myself and our, our partners, we have about 80 units that we own and manage ourselves. So, I mean, you know, we can, we can kind of talk shop with those uh, larger investors and, and property types. I mean, we have, I have, everything. I have single, lots of single family houses, lots and lots of them, small apartment buildings. We've managed uh, mid-sized apartment buildings, 15 to 25 units in the past. Um, I have some condo. I have lots of condos here in Minneapolis and things. So a little of everything, but, but that would be our preferences, you know, working with investors. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, this is kind of, I don't know where this question would otherwise fit into my uh, line of questioning, but just what would you say is kind of the differentiating point between going to, from those small units, maybe four and below, or maybe four, one to 10 may, maybe, versus going to the couple of mid-sized buildings you've managed, 20 mm -hmm. units, 30 units maybe. Are there some big differences that you've noticed when you've been dealing with them? Um, as, to, as to how we manage them, or is, it, is the question more about how would an, how would an owner you know, the owner that that's transitioning out of a few single family houses into a mid-sized building, how would they 
do it? And maybe questions for both of us. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's somewhat similar because um, mm -hmm. in both both cases, whether you know it's your professional management company or you know if if an owner is going to be managing them, themselves that size building, mm -hmm. hopefully they've got some professionalism about the way they're doing right. it. So I think it would be a pretty similar answer. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we do find is surprisingly is there are still, I run into this all the time, lots of investors that have maybe a decent sized portfolio that have no processes, no systems, no standards in place. I mean, they are, and, and even, even lots of them that are self-managing. I mean, they're self-managing 20 plus units off of a spreadsheet and a rudimentary QuickBooks file and something like that and, and really no process. And that, I, I was there. That was me many years ago. I was managing, you know, I had 30 some units spread across, you know, the Twin Cities um, with multifamily and single family and everything, trying to run it all from, you know, QuickBooks and a spreadsheet. And it's, it's a little overwhelming with no systems, no help. And so, um, I would say that as you continue, you know, build your systems and your processes early, don't be afraid to take on help pay for technology. If you know, there's lots of technology can make life much easier, pay for that now, get used to it. So then what, you know, if your goal is to build a, um, a number of units, you're, you're working through that and you're not buried um, in that. Um, for us, you know, as we transition from a small apartment building, let's say a four unit apartment building to a, a larger building, um, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward for us. There's, there's not a lot of, um, big differences. I mean, sometimes the systems are a little bigger, um, you know, uh, electrical and heating and plumbing and things like that. Those can be a little more complicated. You start getting into uh, potentially, you know, exterior issues, driveways and trash and things like that. Um, but those are pretty simple, similar. Um, the other challenge can also be is that um, you need to sometimes take a little, um, closer control or, or, or be working through details, tenant issues at larger buildings, because once they got out of control, I mean, you have the opportunity to, or the, you know, the risk to, you know, poison, um, you know, or, or hurt a, a big building. And, you know, you could, you could, there could be a big problem there, which is going to take a lot longer to, to resolve than let's say a, a duplex or something like that. So, yeah. So if there is like a problem tenant or a problem maintenance concern that's affecting multiple residents mm -hmm. you have more people who are being you know inconvenienced or whatever it might be and correct complaining about it yep yep exactly and so it just needs it just needs a higher level of attention and uh, to jump on that so yeah yep okay well it makes sense well uh, one of the big things i want to go into in the show here is the role of the property manager and you know many people in the twin cities just manage their own properties of course mm -hmm. there's many third party managers to choose from and then some kind of vertically integrate or, you know, hire employees and such kind of, and you've kind of done some of all of that. It sounds like. Right. So I'm wondering what you think is the right time and place for each of those models. Um, I think some of that goes back to the, the time availability of the owner. So I have, like I mentioned, I have, I have a couple owners that have, two two units and they just don't have any time on their hands and and frankly they don't have a desire to necessarily be involved in the property and be you know either at the for the with the tenants or with maintenance and everything and they you know it's just an investment to them um i have a few owners that have never haven't seen their property in years um and that that's that's their desire you know they just they just want to have it as a as a passive investment um i have other owners that have 20 plus units and they want to be actively involved in everything that's going on. Um, and then they, we have a high, somewhat of a hybrid. We're one of the rare, you know, companies in town that does allow um, some type, some hybrid type of arrangements as it relates mostly to manage, uh, to maintenance of the units. We have a few owners that they really like to do their maintenance. They've been doing maintenance on their buildings for years. That's their hot button where they can, they're concerned about spending too much money. So um, we have systems and processes in place that allows them to continue to do that. Um, we handle everything else. We, we handle all the rent collection and the filling of the units and, and even the dispatching of the, you know, collecting the maintenance requests, but then we, we actually dispatch them to the, to the owner, um, you know, which, which is, which works out pretty well. Um, so I, I think it really depends on what the owner is, is really looking for. So how much yeah. time they have and what, what their desire is. So. Yeah. 
that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, a lot of owners do continue to manage properties because of the concern of high maintenance expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. But you kind of feel like once you hand that over to a third party manager, you know, your expenses are just going to kind of get out of control. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I have some more questions about expenses later on, but maybe just since we're on that right now, what, what do you think, or how do you communicate with owners to help them become more comfortable with that Mm -hmm. topic right there? A couple, couple things. One is um, we, first we've chosen to, we've chosen to um, hire internally hire uh, a number of maintenance people on our team and we charge them out at a very reasonable rate. I mean, they're, Today, they're charged out at $50 an hour, which is, I think, is very reasonable for providing insurance and, you know, gas money and, and, and all that and, you know, paying for decent employees. So I think that first puts the owner at ease that, you know, it's not $75 an hour, $100 an hour, whatever. Um, the other thing is we try to dispatch our maintenance guys, those same guys, to probably 80% of the, tra- of the maintenance calls that come in. So you know, when we get a call about a a leaking drain, you know, our first response is to send our maintenance guy out at 50 bucks an hour. He may be able to breeze in there and get in and out of there in a half hour and you pay 25 bucks instead of paying, you know, a a licensed plumber $150 to deal with that. So um, again, I think that puts the the owners at ease that, you know, our goal is to, um, you know, is is to minimize the costs and I mean, because we're investors too. And then along with that, kind of coupled with that is that um, every every maintenance call that we take goes through our call center, a seven by 24 call center. And then they they create work orders or tickets in our in our management system for those maintenance items. And the owner receives a alert about the maintenance request at the same time we do. So it gives them a little, they don't have to do anything necessarily. They don't have to prove it. They don't have to, you know, have a discussion with it unless they want to. So, but at least it gives them an idea, hey, the tenant called in because the sink is leaking. And so usually the owner's after a while, they kind of understand, okay, I, I, I know that that's generally not a catastrophic, you know, $800 repair. Um, and they, they also know that we're going to get in contact with them. If the, if the, if we see the bill is going to go over 250, um, we'll, we get in contact with the owners and discuss what's going on. And, and at the same time that having that notification is real easy for them to just simply, you know, reply to that and, and ask the question, you know, I'm not familiar with a, you know, a, a, a coupler on a, you know, on a furnace or something, you know, what, what's something like that cost? And we can give them some kind of an estimate. So it, it helps, it helps, you know, build that trust and build that understanding over time. So. Okay. Well, that right there is a good example of the transparency you mentioned earlier about that you are providing. I mean, if a owner is getting notification at the same time you are, I mean, that takes away kind of the buffer of, okay, well now, I as speaking as the manager, for example, well, I've got a little bit of time to figure this out before the owner knows, you know, (laughs) you've removed that. So um, that's, that's bold. Um, But you know, it's kind of expected now uh, in the technology age that we live in. Right. So I mean, in a way it allows us to partner a little bit closer with the owner so that they, you know, they know that we're on their side. And so it, it, if there is an issue, um, you know, they know that that there this is a problem, and it also helps where if there's recurring issues at a property, whether it's a whether it they're valid or invalid, at least they're seeing the same things we are. So then, it's not a surprise when all of a sudden, or generally, it's not a surprise. You know, we've been called out four times for the furnace over the last six months, um, and then finally we have to replace it at you know at a big ticket, you know, which is a big ticket item. At least hopefully they've had some knowledge that you know it's like you're driving your car and i hear a squeak and you know so you kind of starting to get used to i might have a repair coming up here so that's that's the other ways it helps yeah that makes a lot of sense um what software do you guys use to help you in this process Mm -hmm. um we have we have about four or five or six different pieces of software we've we've we started with propertyware um propertyware is our is our management property management software which is really the foundation of everything that we do um handles all of our accounting all of our tenant ledgers um everything like that and then we quickly um added 
a product called ShowMojo for our leasing side of doing the work. We just found again that uh, we needed something that could scale. Um, at any given time, we have 15 to 20 properties on the market at any given time, and we needed something that could handle the automation of scheduling appointments. There's nothing, and I and I, you know, kind of going back to your earlier question about what what's a pain point or where you know, as owners grow their portfolios, where are they going to experience a part where they should add something? I would say that's probably your first one. There's nothing, any owner that has been leasing properties has probably experienced driving down the road, they get a phone call, you know, from a Craigslist ad, somebody wants to see the property, and you're trying to talk them through that while you're on the phone. And then remember that you have an appointment set up for tomorrow at two, and you have to write that down. And then lo and behold, you know, an hour later, somebody calls and wants to see it tomorrow at four. And so um, just keeping all that collected. So ShowMojo was the second property project um, tool that we use. Uh, we also, uh, this last summer, implemented a, a, a more robust kind of best of breed maintenance tool called um, Property Meld, which allows us to you know, property wear is pretty complete and does tries to be everything to everybody. But um, and it it did work until we hit about you know, maybe 300 units. But once we surpassed 300 units, it just it was just buckling under weight. It was just it was too much data. Whereas property meld is, is just it adds some automation. It's a little more efficient. So we use that. And then I'm sure there's we have a set we all same thing with um, inspections. So we do move in inspections, move out inspections, um, uh, six month inspections. We do uh, what we call property preservation inspections on properties every six months. Same thing. Property where had a tool, it was clunky, it didn't work well. The the maintenance, you know, our field guys hated it. So we went with a software called Snap Inspect. Kind of again, best of breed, works slick really easy. So we try to add the tools where necessary as we're growing to kind of fill pain points. So, and I'm sure there's, I'm sure I'm missing something. I'm sure there's another one in there somewhere. Okay. So. Yeah. It's definitely good to take advantage of those technologies that are available. Mm -hmm. um, they're making the, the business so much easier to operate. Right. So. Right. Yeah. And some of them are fairly cost effective for even a small, you know, small landlord. Um, you know, some of those tools are 50 bucks a month. So it's not, it's not like you're spending a, an enormous amount of money and, and, you know, we, you'll, you should experience some huge efficiencies. Right. Yeah. Well, another question I have about your management company is how do you divide up the roles in the company? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know this, but I used to be a property manager myself and okay. I was in a company where we had several managers, but each manager was in charge of their own portfolio and mm -hmm. basically handled everything from, receiving maintenance requests and doing the bookkeeping and interacting with the owners, uh, basically A to Z, it was mm -hmm. all underneath us. So mm -hmm. uh, how do you have things set up? Um, you know, we've, we've, we've been through a few different iterations over our, over the court lifespan of the company and we've tried it a couple different ways. Um, we finally settled and I, and I'm feeling the most comfortable with a fairly, um, centralized centralized pro so we have staff positions for leasing for accounting for maintenance for inspections so those people handle all everything having to do with maintenance you know there's there's one person in our office that handles everything from start to finish having to do with maintenance there's another person that handles all the accounting and then we have cross training that goes on we also have some offshore resources that do a few of those pieces of the puzzle on the accounting side um, and then up until recently we did have a number of um, some of my other partners were doing some of the uh, what i would call property management which would be interfacing with the tenants and interfacing with the owners. Um, and, and we recently retooled that to, um, and reduced that. I, I took on more of the day-to-day -day operations handling, you know, working with tenants and owners, because as it turns out, um, I was getting pulled into those discussions already anyways, uh, because 
maybe I met the tenant once before I was the one that onboarded the owner. And so the owner just still looks at me as their, their primary contact. So it just made more sense to streamline it. I handle all that, but then I've got a, a great team of people uh, that I work with that I can pull into those conversations and can, and can work through the issues, whether it's maintenance or leasing or uh, accounting. So that's how we do it. I know there are different models where exactly like you said, there are um, situations where, you know, it's a very siloed, like these are your hundred units and you hand them from start to finish. And, and that might work. I, I, we just hadn't really kind of gotten there. So like the way it is. Yeah. Well, I think there's different personalities that might work well mm -hmm. in one version or the other. Right. For me, um, I liked the independence of it. However, I had a limit to what I could handle. Right. And, uh, you know, after so many units, it was just uh, too much to do. So Right, right, right. So we, we look at it that if we, you know, if we continue, we're at 500 some units today. Um, if we, you know, let's say when we get to 750, we may need to add a half a half a maintenance coordinator person, you know, and the leasing is pretty straightforward because we just, that's an easy way to, that's an easy place to scale because all those people are, you know, independent contractors. So we can add three or four of those without too much trouble. So uh, we, we think this model gives us the ability to scale. Obviously uh, all the owners and tenants contacting me, I'll need to eventually peel off, you know, some subset of it where I can have somebody kind of taking some of those discussions, but it works right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the risk of um, maybe getting too specialized is that sometimes the owners feel like they're not sure who to talk to. Right. Or, or that, you know, one hand isn't talking to the other hand. That's right. That's so. right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, you're exactly right. Is, is, you know, we, that was another thing that we kind of experienced before we made this transition to kind of uh, collapse it all under, you know, all tenant and, and uh, owner communications to me is that that's exactly it is the owners would say, well, I don't know if I should be talking with, you know, your maintenance person about this, or is it the accounting person or no, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'll bring the people into the conversation as needed uh, to kind of answer your questions. So, yep. And I noticed earlier you mentioned offshore help. Are you talking about virtual mm -hmm. assistants? Uh, yes, we've we've actually used uh, virtual assistants on the accounting side for many many years. Um, you know, almost since we started, because as you can imagine, I mean, vendor invoices and utility bills and a host of other pieces of paper are coming into our office on a on a daily basis. And so we have it just set up where we found a, a set of uh, bookkeepers that work in India, I believe, and we scan things in, we email them to them, and, you know, they put them into our accounting system, um, you know, just to at least get the bills in there and get them um, set up for payment. And so that has been really slick and a super efficient way to do it because um, uh, otherwise it's just, it's a mountain of paperwork deal, you know, that we go through on a monthly basis. So, yeah. Yeah. I've heard about using virtual assistants for quite a while and only just pretty much this year, I've started to use one um, for my business in a, in a different role, but you know, it's, it's amazing how, how much that can be helpful mm -hmm. and um, not only to get the work done, but then to free up yourself to right. focus on what, you know, what's the best use of your time. Yep, exactly. And I think, I don't know if you've been through more than one virtual assistant, but you know, they're not all created equal. So, you know, some of them are, have, have, uh, you know, more or less skill sets. And so you just have to, you just have to commit to the goal to outsource this stuff and just work till you find the right fit. So. Yeah, that's true. I've been through several in, in just this short couple of months. And, um, you know, what's worked for me is, is trying to, each time I would delegate something, try to really detail out in, in great detail yeah. what exactly needs to be done. And you, know, you have to really dumb down the topic. It's mm -hmm. not because the other person isn't competent, but they just don't know how you want things to be done. Correct. Yep. Yep. The virtual assistants we have today, like I said, have been with us for years, um, but they have a very narrow set of tasks that they do. 
Um, we've tried to expand there. We've tried to add some things. We've tried to, you know, add some additional um, things and it just, it hasn't gone well. So we've scaled it back and just, you know, again, they do what they do very, very well. Uh, we tried a, a different virtual assistant for some things. And again, it didn't just kind of flopped. And we have, um, we've developed fairly robust um, training guides and, and processes, you know, which we've documented over the years. Um, and even despite that, we haven't had good, good success in certain areas. So that's why we've just chosen, we're just going to keep those, we're going to keep those processes in house or we automate them. You know, we've done a lot of things to just try to automate things to just, you know, not, not have to deal with them. Sure. Meaning, uh, through software or what do you mean by the automation there? Yeah, all of the above. Um, you know, a simple one is, is just even lease renewals, for example. I mean, we used to have this big convoluted manual process for figuring out how we're going to do lease renewals and rent increases. It was this big process. And so, you know, a couple of us got together and just just spent a bunch of hours and just hammered out. Actually, we're probably on version five because we've done it. So we've done it. We've done it and redone it and redone it so many times that we finally got to this process, which now anybody can do in about two to three hours a month, you know, versus this, you know, super painful process that we did before. And same thing with um, onboarding new units and, and, and onboarding new tenants. We've just tried to streamline all that. I'm working on a new one right now to try to automate the whole onboarding of new buildings that that's a it's not difficult it just takes time so if we can automate some of those pieces so yeah can you go into a little bit more of the uh, lease increase or the rent increase process or lease renewal process uh, because you're right it can take a long time and i think that a lot of owners just kind of let it go they might mm -hmm. let their own their tenants just go month to month and then the rents stay the same for years and years and years because mm -hmm. they don't want to upset the boat yeah what we decided, and we were the same, we had that same kind of paradigm where we thought, you know, that that lease renewals and rent increases were one and the same or were coupled. And so, you know, signing a new lease is, there's a lot of work and brain damage that goes into that. It can be, especially if the tenant doesn't really want to sign a new lease or doesn't want to deal with the rent increase. So we decided to decouple those and we, we do lease renewals on probably 50% of our, our units because the owners want, you know, a brand new fresh 12 month lease, or we do them because, you know, we get a, you know, a, a lease when we inherit a lease that's written on the back of a napkin, you know, we just have to. Um, but what we decoupled was that we now do systematic um, yearly rent increases by simple notification. So, you know, it's nothing more than we send a notification out 75 days in advance that says your rent is changing to X. Hmm. And that's there's no approval. There's no discussion. There's really no, I mean, we, we, we discuss it with the owner. We send the, we send the owner a notification also that says, unless you tell us otherwise, we're increasing the rent on this unit on, you know, in 75 days to this amount, we don't hear anything back in a week. Then we send that out to the tenant and that's it. And then we put it in our system and we move on. So um, that's a place where we just, we, we just kind of blew up the process and said, why are we killing ourselves to sign new leases when that's not really the goal? The goal is really to get the rent increased. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, of like you said, brain damage that goes into mm -hmm. signing a new document. Yeah. But if yeah. you simply give them notice that can have the same effect. Yeah. So is there any, um, obviously it's going to vary from unit to unit, depending on where it's currently at. But is there any kind of automation to how you decide how much of a rent increase to make? That That is still fairly manual. Um, I know I've reviewed some processes which are much more elaborate where, you know, there's a person that's in charge of that, that then sends a recommendation to, you know, the property manager and then they kind of adjust it and this, this back and forth. And we really just said, we're going to keep it at about, um, you know, one to 3%. And, and it's really, a, a it's based on, you know, we, we do about 30 or 40 of them a month. Um, we haven't been doing them during the, during COVID, but uh, usually we'll do 30, 40 a month. And so, you know, you could sit down in an hour and kind of just, you know, and again, because of the new 
way that we've we've made some changes to the system and and added some custom fields and other things we can really hammer through that in probably about an hour and then generally it's just based on you know what we think how long has the tenant been there you know where did what rent start at you know was it a was the rent low from the beginning or was it high from the beginning um and then just you know lots of other factors that we kind of throw in there so yeah yeah that makes sense obviously there's so many different variables in there so mm -hmm. That, yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, we've talked a little bit about the communication with the owner and, and you're the main person in your company to do that. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a routine for how frequently you try to reach out to your owners? Um, say if there's been kind of nothing going on at the property, but you know, kind of what's the minimum that you'll try to reach out and kind of strategize about the property and the investment uh, to see what's the plan for that property? Mm -hmm. um, we, that is definitely an area that we want to, you know, we are working on we don't have a kind of like some of our other things. We don't have a concrete, we always talk to the owners, but it is definitely something that we've been discussing as we're coming into 2019. Um, you know, some of my owners I talk to multiple times a week, um, you know, and, and they may, they may have a lot of units or, or very few units. It just depends. And it also depends on what's going on. Um, you know, so no, we, we need to get, we need to do a better, more, you know, deliberate specific job on that, that we always, you know, cause I have some owners that I haven't spoken with in a year or two. They have one property with me. Maybe they even live in a different country. Um, and I just haven't, you know, everything's going smooth. Everybody's paying their rent. There's no maintenance issues. So there, there hasn't been a real spark to do it, but, but you're right. Um, we, we have recognized that we need to, to step up that side of the game to make sure that we are proactively, you know, engaging with the owners. Now, one of the ways that we do that, I wouldn't say that we never do it. One of the ways that we do it, which is a little bit more passive is that we do, um, what we call property preservation inspections every six months on every unit. So, and then that report, which has anywhere from 10 to 30 pictures in it um, and commentary by our inspector gets emailed to the owner. So it does give an opportunity if the owner has concerns or, you know, and then it's also reviewed internally. We look for things on those reports to say, you know, we haven't had a maintenance call on this property in, a, in six months or a year but what's going on in this property and it allows us to look at the pictures and say, Hmm, it's interesting. I don't think they're supposed to have a dog or, you know, I see a, I see a stain on the, uh, on the roof there. We should, we should spin up some maintenance requests to go look at that. Or it gives us some opportunity, you know, it gives us visibility into it to then engage with the owner. But, uh, but to your point is we needed to, that is one of the things on our radar is to, is to have more of a, portfolio review for lack of a better word with each owner on a more systematic basis. Sure. Well, and I think what you've mentioned there is, is a really great asset of what you're providing. Um, you know, a lot of companies that do scattered site man management or even just owners that have properties all over the place might not get to their properties for mm -hmm. a year or years. Right. Uh, right. So if you're intentionally getting into each unit every six months, I, I think right. that's Right. Because, and like you said, there's so many things that can uh, happen at a property that maybe the tenant won't mm -hmm. afford it or not realize what's going on or right. not really, you know, be trained to look for something. So um, getting right. to the property goes a long way. Well, yeah. I mean, we've come across situations where, you know, a tenant put a bucket under the kitchen sink and they just said, uh, yeah, I just... I just never call. I just empty it every so often. Well, that's not going to be good. Or, or even life and safety things, you know, handrails that are loose, smoke detectors has been taken down. Um, you know, or like I said, that we, we run into a thing where, yeah, they're not supposed to have dogs, you know, or they're not, there is, there's eight people living in a pro a place that we didn't know about. So, um, yeah, we want to get out in front of that stuff and make sure, you know, it's, it's dealt with. So, yeah. Oh, very good. Well, I'm going to shift focus a little bit and I want to talk about income and expenses. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've covered that a little bit already, but as you know, like a rental portfolio is valued based on the net operating income. So I'm wondering if you've found any ways to really help the owners increase their income or reduce their expenses so that that bottom line is where mm -hmm. it should be. Yeah. Um, 
I would say a big push that we did um, as we've been taking over single family houses, one of the surprising things is that a lot of owners in certain neighbor, in certain areas uh, were still covering things like, like, you know, water, sewer, garbage as an, as a simple example, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was traditional that 10 years ago, all the owners paid water, sewer, garbage. And so we've shifted those owner, we've shifted all those expenses whenever possible over to the tenants so that, you know, that was, you know, could be a couple thousand bucks a year. Um, you know, we've also, we're also trying to do, I think to your point earlier is we're also, we're also more systematically raising the rent on, on tenants, you know, to get them into market because uh, I, I've seen a couple of leases where the tenants been in their 12, you know, 10, 12 years, which is awesome. You've saved a tremendous amount of money in turnovers, but yet at the same time, the rent hasn't changed in, in 10 years. And so you've, now you're so far behind the market that you can't all of a sudden add, you know, you can't increase the rent by 20% without blowing up that tenant. So I think they did, you know, the, the, whoever was managing it did themselves a disservice. So there's those situations, um, you know, and there, and, you know, we have other, we're working on other things to, you know, consistently try to, um, you know, charge things back to tenants, make sure that things are getting, you know, helping our owners find, um, you know, money through um, programs to do, you know, upgrades on windows and, and, and insulation and things like that. So wherever possible, we're trying to find, you know, places that we can help the owners uh, just make more money. So. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And would those type of things come up probably in your uh, inspection, property preservation inspections? Yes. Yes, they do. Um, or, it, you know, and, and obviously every building's different. I mean, if you have a building that's got, um, you know, a central boiler and, and own 20 units, I mean, you're going to be looking at that with, through a different lens than a single family house that all the utilities are paid by the tenant, for example. Um, you know, we often also do talk about, you know, some of the other things we do on the maintenance side of the equation is we also try to do things that minimize, um, minimize the, the long-term maintenance expense. I mean, and, and this may seem simple, but, you know, when possible, we, re, we, re, we move, you know, garbage disposals, you know, yeah, they're kind of a nice to have, but they, they're, they're a hassle and they break, you know, they only have a couple year lifespan and sure enough, you're going to be spending three, four, five hundred dollars to, you know, replace it and get a plumber out there and everything like that. Um, there, there are places where we, um, you know, same thing with dishwashers. There's, there's certain areas that don't, that don't, you know, the, 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 um, properties are there and the tenants don't expect to have dishwashers, for example. So if we come across one, we take it out one less thing to deal with. Um, and there's just, there's subtle things that we'll do in certain areas, uh, and, you know, to base it based on what the expectation is of the tenant, um, to, you know, to, you know, to minimize the turnover or minimize costs for maintenance and turnovers. So. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I've heard a lot about removing garbage disposals. I know we, uh, had owners that did that back at the company I used to work at mm-hmm. um, because they they get clogged easily they break easily mm-hmm. um, and it's they're just they're kind of a luxury item they're not yeah. necessary yep yep or like window air conditioners for example I mean years ago we stopped we got out of the window air conditioning business and we just said all new leases you know that's that's on the tenant you know we're not gonna because it was always got to install it got to install it. It's going to be 80 degrees this week. And we got to install it ASAP. You know, you got to take it out because it's 40 degrees outside and it's not cold enough. It's not, you know, it's blowing the circuit. Break. It's just stop, stop. You know, those are, and those are all expenses that go to the owner. Yeah. So we just said, we're just not doing that anymore. So, yep. Yeah. Each one of those little maintenance calls gets, is mm-hmm. a charge for it because nobody, right. nobody's working for free. So, right. Right. So very good. Um, I also want to ask you about, kind of your role as a a manager in helping an owner prepare for a purchase or prepare for a sale of a property. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, you know, the majority of what you do is in between those two things, um, Mm -hmm. leasing and maintenance and accounting and all that stuff. But how do you help the owner really uh, prepare and make sure that they're strategic about their purchases and sales? Mm we get a lot of calls from owners, either existing ones or ones that have been doing their due diligence to find a, 
property management or in advance. Um, and they'll call and say, you know, send me, send me an email and say, hey, we're, we're, we've got an offer in on this. You know, we got an accepted offer. We are in the inspection period. Can I meet you out there? Can I buy you a cup of coffee and just meet you out there? And, and you can tell me what you think of the property or, um, you know, it might be something as simple as, uh, you know, what do you think the rents would be on this property uh, going forward? Because so that's on the purchase side, which I think is super valuable because, you know, we're just we're all humans. I mean, even all the properties I've bought, I still get excited when I've you know got an accepted offer. And and so sometimes I may, you know we need we need that neutral third party telling us that things are are real that's why we have house inspectors so uh so i do that a fair amount um and then on the sales side um same thing you know we we work with our work with our existing owners to kind of um figure out how to get the sale done um you know i would the a lot of times it really makes the most sense, especially in this market to, you know, have the tenant move out, you know, give tenant notice, have them move out so that the property can be, you know, freshly painted, put new carpet in, it's clean, so on and so forth. So we can put it on the market. And, and, you know, that takes some sequencing, takes some, uh, you know, logistics and just talking about that and planning for it, uh, uh, on that side. And then, and then obviously, um, we work with the, you know, if, if we're not the one selling the property, because we, you know, we're right licensed real estate agents too. Uh, we do sell some of our owner's properties, but if we're not, we work with the um, agent, the listing agent to kind of talk about, you know, what things should be done in advance of the, of the putting on the market. Maybe there's some repairs that need to be done, so on and so forth. So we help them through that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. In my opinion, an owner should be preparing Obviously, it will depend on the type of the property. So a single family might be different than you know, a 20 unit building. But hmm. especially in those larger properties, you really need to plan ahead six, 12 or 24 months in advance Correct. so that uh, you can be getting the property in good condition and getting the books in order and just mm -hmm. making sure it's uh, gonna present itself the best it can on the marketplace. Right, right. And that may mean, you know, and, and it's a bummer to not, it's a bummer to have a vacant unit. But I mean, I've had, a number of them in the last six months where, you know, owner wants to sell. And I've, I've been very candid to say, look, you, you're not going to be able to sell this unit with that tenant in that property. It's just, you know, they're, they're going to be a challenge to having any showings. They're messy. You know, the property does not show well, you're not going to get the value out of that property that you should get if, you know, and so you're going to have to just, except the fact that it's going to be vacant for a couple months while you're going through the sales cycle. Now, luckily, you know, properties and properties are selling quickly. So it's not usually a big, big deal, but, uh, but yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If, if it's difficult to get into a unit or a tenant's going to sit there and tell you all the things that are bad yeah. about the property. <laughs> right. Right. Or maybe the their experience. Yeah. 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 That can be a challenge. Yes, that's right. That's right. So, <laughs> As we kind of get towards wrapping up this discussion on systems and processes, are there any other tips that you'd have for an owner who maybe wants to write an overall business plan for their rental business? And what things would be good to include and cover and make sure they're thinking about ahead of time? Um, you know, I think, I think one of the, um, it's kind of a, that's a big question. I, I would say, I think I think any owner needs to think about um, capital availability. Um, I meet owners that get themselves into tough spots because they just don't have or are unwilling to spend money on the properties, um, and 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 that all that does is leads to um, the I, I heard it was called it was called the, the cycle of suck. Um, is that, you know, you have a property that's not great, which then doesn't get you a great tenant, which then, you know, it gets it beat up more, but then you don't, you know, maybe you don't make any money to be able to spend it on there to then get it, you know, get it fixed up at all. And then you get a worse tenant and it's just this miserable cycle. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to gold plate everything, but um, there's a lot of times where a lot of situations could be resolved if the owner just fixed it and fixed something properly. Um, and so a lot of owners just try to get by on the cheap. And so then it adds to property doesn't show well, it's harder to sell, it's harder to lease. And so, um, 
yeah, we've had a few few properties where we're getting lots of showings, but the property just doesn't look good. And the owner doesn't want to put any money into simple things. And consequently, you know, the, the, the property is vacant for a couple months. Well, how much money did you just spend lose on income because you didn't want to paint the, the common hallway or, you know, fix that cabinet, you know, replace the cabinets that are 100 years old that are falling apart. So I think that's a big one um, is making sure you've got access to capital to do things. Um, and, and then the second one would be for, for business plans, I would say, um, you know, what is your growth strategy? How many units are you going to add a year? And, um, you know, as you're growing and maybe it's just one, that's great. But, you know, if you have a goal, you know, how many are you going to add? What's your, what's your appetite for that? And then start and then plan that you cannot handle, you cannot be a solo landlord at 25, 30 units um, alone. You can't, you know, without any systems, without any help, without any backup, you, you're just, you just can't do it. So you've got to be putting those into your business plan. And yeah, you're going to take a pay cut when you get to 20 units and you have to hire an assistant or you have to, you know, buy, um, you know, use property wear or something like that. Yes, but that's only the thing that's going to allow you to, to keep your sanity, frankly. So. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it comes back to approaching our investment properties as an actual business. Right. And businesses have expenses. You can't just expect to have all of the rental income as your profit. <laughs> right. So right. you have to yes. invest back into these properties. That's an ongoing thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. owners that don't take that approach are going to end up in that cycle of suck that you mentioned. Yeah. And they're going to be frustrated. They're going to be frustrated and they're constantly going to be wondering why, why do they have problem tenants? Why are people not paying their rent? Why, you know, why is my unit, why am I always fixing that? Why, 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 you know, you've got to get yourself to a place where you're comfortable or you're just going to burn yourself out or you're going to hate that you own rental property. So, yep. Well, I'm getting close to some of my closing questions here, okay. but Briefly, I want to get your take on what's going on in the marketplace now that we have a pandemic that we're dealing with. Um, obviously, evictions are not happening right now. Uh, I'm assuming that rents are not increasing right now. Um, but what is basically uh, your experience on the boots on the ground of what you're experiencing now and what you're seeing in, coming up in the next six months or so? Um yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough spot to be both a tenant and a landlord. Um, you know, lots of, lots of tenants have lost, you know, have lost their jobs or have their hours cut back. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, and, and lots of landlords, uh, lots of owners are very nervous because of that. Um, and that's understandable. I, I think, um, you know, we are working with tenants, you know, we understand the situation they're in and, and we are willing to, you know, we are willing to work with tenants to figure out a path forward uh, to get, you know, to, to whatever that might be. It might be um, that we're going to, you know, that they can pay some of their rent now and we're going to kind of space out the rest of their rent payments uh, over the next couple months once they get back on their feet financially. Um, it might be that, you know, everybody just agrees that they're going to just, you know, simply move out and they're going to move in with some family. We've had a few tenants, you know, ask about that and we're more than happy and obliged to, you know, to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing that, you know, that's the biggest thing that I can, can give it for advice is just, you know, work don't, you know, for, for tenants is don't clam up. Don't, you know, not answer the phone, not answer your landlord's email, because all they can assume then is that, you know, you're just, you know, they don't have any information to go on. And so unfortunately, that's going to most likely put them in a spot where their only option is to then, you know, file an eviction once, uh, once we get back, you know, once evictions start again. So um, over the next six months, I think it's going to be an interesting um, ride. I mean, I hope that we can get going sooner than later. But if this drags out more months, I think we're going to all, it's going to be difficult and, um, you know, to, to, to get ourselves out of this situation. So, yeah, obviously it's hard to predict once we're a while we're in the midst of, you know, mm -hmm. kind of stay at home orders and all this stuff. Right. But okay. Well, very good. Well, like I said, I've got some closing questions. Sure. And I do appreciate all the insight you've uh, shared so far. Clearly, you know, we haven't covered everything in this short conversation. So 
um, but I appreciate what we've done so far. Um, so just to allow the audience to get to know you a little bit better, uh, number one, why do you get up in the morning? Um, why do I get up in the morning? I, you know, it's, it's really to continue to, you know, move the ball forward. I mean, I, you know, like most people, first thing I do is, you know, get a cup of coffee. And the second thing I do is, you know, fire up, fire my computer and see what's, you know, what's going on and, and, you know, where, where, what things need to be fixed and what things need to be going. Um, I enjoy, I really, you know, cause I grew up in a background of, uh, you know, in building and everything, I still have a, just a love for, um, properties and for working with owners and working with tenants. I just like the, I, I like the business. I just, I really enjoy it. And so that's what gets me going in the, you know, seven days a week, literally. So. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, second question is what's an event or a person in your history that was kind of monumental in creating who you are today? <laughs> um, well, I mean, the, the, people that got me in the business, I thought it was, I thought it was curious. I mean, um, I always wanted to own rental property, but could never figure out how to do it until I, I don't remember how I met them, but um, I think I went to a seminar or something and I met a cop. I met a real estate agent and a mortgage broker that worked together. Um, and they kind of taught me everything I knew and helped me buy my first, um, you know, 10 plus buildings. Um, and so that, you know, obviously that set me down a path where, you know, I am doing that today. So that's an interesting, um, yeah, that's how I got here, I suppose. Yeah. Well, follow up question to that. What is the mm -hmm. secret? Because I think a lot of people might be stuck in, you know, I think real estate investing is a good idea, but what in the world? How do I do this? <laughs> um, I, I think, yeah, I think finding, I think finding, uh, I think finding a, real estate agent that you trust, you know, that you, that you, you know, like working with and that you feel like you can trust that has experience in rental property in investment property and just saddling up to them and, you know, looking at properties and having them, you know, get you up to speed because they'll bring all the other guys, they'll bring the mortgage guy and the inspector and the, you know, and the property manager and everything, but just finding somebody that you trust uh, to, you know, to give you sound advice, I think is a huge, you know, that, that's how, if I had to do it again, that's how I would do it because they're also in, they're also, it's different than reading it in a book or taking a seminar because they're in the market, they're living it every day. Um, yeah, they get paid by selling you something, but um, I'd find somebody that is less motivated by selling you something and more looking to be a long-term relationship. I mean, I have customers that I've been working with for 15 years because I look at it more of, you know, it's not a transact in my book. It's not a transactional business as a real estate agent. It's a relationship. And I'd look for somebody like that. that that's what I would do if you really wanted to get into business. So, yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I know obviously books and reading and blogs and all that stuff has its place and it's really valuable. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, as much as I learned from my first real estate book, uh, it was a long time after that till I actually invested in real estate. So <laughs> yep. Yep. Right. A lot to say for uh, working with somebody who's done it and knows what steps to take. Yeah. And you can, and they can answer that. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I would call my real estate agent and go, the tenant just did this. What should I do? You know, those are not things you can read in a book or, I mean, I suppose you could go in a, you know, forum or something, but you know, the million times that I call them and just, you know, needed sound advice and they go, Oh, don't worry about it. Do this. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> That's great. Okay. So my last question for you today is yeah. how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about your sure. business? Um, they can definitely go to my website, uh, rental management guys.com. Uh, that's, you know, there's a fair amount of information there. Um, you can also call us, um, you know, you, uh, you, you, you know, you can find me on the web. I'm, I'm about everywhere, but that's probably the most straightforward and it gives you lots of background, um, on, on what we do and how we do what we do. Um, and then if you're interested, you know, there's a contact page, you contact me page, just, you know, fire off an email to us. Um, happy to get a cup of coffee, chat with you, whatever you want to do, just get, get some more information. Um, even if you're just getting started, I have a lot of guys that'll call me and just want to kind of get some background information on how things work and any advice. And I, I'll hear them, I'll hear from them a year later and they say, okay, I bought my first rental property. You know, can you manage this for me? So have, you know, that does happen a fair amount. Yeah. It can be a long process, but it's, mm -hmm. it's yeah. a great process to be in. <laughs> right. Right. 
All right. Well, Scott, again, I thank you for your time today. Mm-hmm. I want to uh, just speak to the audience briefly. Uh, if you got anything out of this discussion, let us know that you're out there. Uh, the best way to do that is either comment on our YouTube video, YouTube channel, or you can go ahead and give us a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts app. So we really appreciate, again, the feedback and letting you know that you're there. Of course, you can also share this out to other people that would benefit from this. So thank you so much, and we will see you on the next one. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investments in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.